Welcome to Challenging Christianity. I'm your host, Rebecca Kinnestrand. Do you consider yourself spiritual but non-religious? Agnostic. Or maybe you grew up in a church but don't believe what you were taught there anymore. This podcast exists in that space between all-in or all-out religion. Join us in asking questions that challenge the notions of Christianity. Okay, welcome to Challenging Christianity. We're here to talk about the questions that we have about um, religion and, well, specifically Christianity, obviously. It's for people out there who are spiritual, non-religious, or grew up in a religion and are feeling just alone in the thought that they, they have a spirit life inside of them, but they don't have a community. And um, we want to be that community for you and talk um, to some people here. I've got Pastor Mike Anderson across from me from Holy Spirit Lutheran Church and a good friend Danielle next to me. We're going to be talking about Noah's Ark today. Okay. <laughs> when I hear Noah, you know, you got two by two. Everybody knows this story. You've got the big ark. Sometimes in the kids' book, it's so small, and you're like, how did all the animals get on there? So every animal in the world, two by two, walks up the plank and closes the door, flood comes, 40 days, 40 nights, bird goes out, dove gets the branch, rainbow, the world is saved, okay? I think everybody, whether you grew up in a religion or not, in Western culture anyway, knows this story, and it's usually presented to them as a children's story or by a movie, Bruce Almighty, you said? Yeah, or what Bruce was the Almighty, Steve Carroll one? I, ooh. Uh, Evan Almighty? Ev- Evan Almighty. I think so. Hilarious. Yeah. Totally hilarious. A hilarious take on an apocalyptic tale. <laughs> <laughs> so, Evan Almighty, all the, anyway, you're an introduced to this story, but it's so easy. This is the one where, and we had a podcast recently about religion versus um, uh, scientific basis, so we're not going to get into that today, and if you want to hear that, go back to that one. We're going to ask Pastor Mike, what's the theological meaning underlying this children's story where a lot of people, this is their only entry point into Christianity. So you take it away, Mike. Let's, let's hear it. Well, we've certainly made it into a children's story. Our uh-huh. own daughter had a Noah theme in her room for a long time, um, but it never was intended to be a children's story. In the mm. Bible, it is a story that is, as Danielle said, apocalyptic. This is a flood that wipes out the world. And we have many people today who say, well, that can't happen. There was no flood that went all the way around the world. And right. They make fun of, you know, searching for Noah's Ark on Mount Ararat in Turkey. And so mm-hmm. people dismiss the story because it's not scientifically true. Um, but it is true that there were many floods in the Near East. In fact, in prehistory, hmm. archaeologists have gone back and they found uh, layers of mud that symbolize a huge flood that happened. So ancient cultures all developed stories around this prehistoric event. And many of those stories have to do with monsters and gods and battles. And the Hebrew people, as they did with the creation story, sort of shaped the story around their theology and their understanding of God. So that's how it all got started. This is um, an apocalyptic story that probably has some roots in a literal flood not the entire world, but a major portion of the Middle East, mm. and the Hebrew people shaped that story to meet some theological insights that they had. Okay, so you don't, in your theology, you don't believe the whole world was flooded uh, and it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and two by two, and it was all the animals on the ark and so on. Is that part of your theology or not? Well, definitely there probably was no actual Noah. 
um, there was probably an actual flood okay. mm -hmm. that happened. It wasn't the whole world, but a okay. major portion of maybe the Tigris, Euphrates, River Valley. Um, so th there were floods that happened mm -hmm. that were terrible, and people died. And so the real important part of this is how the Hebrew people shaped that story with a theological message. It's okay. So the message that I've always been taught or that I remember from my, you know, Sunday school days was I remember it being like a, a fun story where you almost learned about like what different kinds of animals there are. Yeah, there and was that in the beginning. There was yeah. that like in when the preschool days, but later it got into a little bit of you know, honestly, like, it was like you these people were chosen and mm -hmm. if you don't do the right thing, the world will be destroyed again. So it almost became like, don't do bad things, or the God, or, God or will destroy the world again. Flood. There will be a giant flood. You'll be stuck with Honestly, that, that kind of sticks out to me. So, okay, I don't think that anymore, but what do you think, Pastor Mike? Well, I admire the Hebrew people because um, they were the first ones to come up with an understanding that God is good and God creates the world good. Mm. That's their creation story. God is good, God creates the world good. But that leaves them with a huge, huge problem. If God is good, and we've been created good, why is there this evil in the world? Why do these bad things happen all the time? And so they had to come to grips with that evil in the world. Mm -hmm. And it took them a long time to try to figure out who God was and how God dealt with evil. So the Hebrew people began telling stories, well, God must want to wipe out the evil, get rid of it all. Mm -hmm. And so they took that flood story that was floating around in many cultures and they said, well, our understanding of our good God is that our good God wants to wipe out evil and kind of from a top-down approach, just wipe it all out and hold on to that which is good. So that morphed into the story of the flood. Mm -hmm. And we have changed, of course, because cute little <laughs> animals and you know, a little <laughs> ark and all yeah. that business misses the point of the theological story. Um, but it's a story in transition of Hebrew people understanding how God deals with a broken world. Oh, so they are okay. thinking about, well, the world's broken and God is just going to, from the top down, say, I'm going to get rid of the brokenness, I'm going to get rid of the evil, get rid of the sin, wipe it out. Yes. So would the Hebrew people have recognized the story as a metaphor or, or not? Would they have had the same understanding that you're describing? Yes, I think they would. Um, okay. I think they would understand that this is metaphorical. However, we in this scientific age yeah. are really into, it's either science, literal truth, factual truth, or it's a metaphor. They would mix the two. Okay. They're all mixed up. So yeah. if there was a flood and they believed there was an actual Noah, fine. They might have believed that is literally true. And they could have combined it with this is a theological insight of God hanging on and rescuing people in the midst of a, a tremendous, tremendous destructive flood. Hmm. Okay. I like that insight. It, it's a counter to what I always hear from people who kind of use the Noah story as an example of why all of Christianity is wrong. Why all right. of Christianity... Well, it comes down to the science of it, mm -hmm. right? Like the all the animals and the biology of it. And I, I think from a young age, you know, I actually grew up Roman Catholic, but... Catholics also don't believe literal Bible truth, so it, I was told it was a parable. So I knew it was a story, but I never really was told what it was a story about. 
<laughs> you know, it, it, it was a yeah. story, but it didn't. I didn't get any of the meaning out of it. And so we were talking before the podcast about um, uh, Abraham and Sarah. So what? Tell tell me more about that. About them. Well, the the flood story, the Tower of Babel story, where people's languages are confused, are absolutely essential to be able to understand the Abraham and Sarah story. They're all coupled. The flood story, as I said, is kind of a transitional understanding of what God does with evil in the world. Remember, the Hebrew people have this predicament. God is good. The world is good. The predicament is, why is there evil? And then, what does God do about it? Mm, And they started thinking, well, God just is going to wipe it out. And that story really didn't stick very well because there was still evil in the world. And so, they came to understand that God doesn't only work from the top down. God works from the bottom up. And they began telling the story about Abraham and Sarah. How is God going to put the world back together again? Well, God is going to choose two ordinary people and say, I'm going to work through you. Abraham, Sarah, come with me. We're going to mend the world from the bottom up. Abraham and Sarah say, who? We can't Us? do that. <laughs> yeah, me. Uh, me. I know if that was somebody came to my husband and I today uh, and said that, I'd be like, I don't know what you're talking I'm like, about. I'm pretty busy right, right. now. I, got, I have a meeting nonsense. at 10, yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's a tremendous theological insight of the Hebrew people that they would understand the divinity, the divine, working through ordinary, everyday people mm. rather than working from a top-down, um, just saying something and it happens, um, forcing things to change. That sounds a lot harder to me. That's what mm-hmm. first comes to my mind is like being told what to do from the top down is really simple. Oh yeah, I can follow right? direction. I can follow directions. Yeah, and this sounds way harder to do. So I know a little bit about this story. There were some promises. Mm-hmm. promises that God gave to Abraham yeah. and Sarah. Is yeah. that part of what we want to talk about today, Gen- or is that a whole nother? Sure, sure. Okay. In Genesis chapter 12, God speaks to Abraham and Sarah and says, I promise you three, three, three things. One, a land in which you can live. Two, descendants as many as the stars of the sky. And three, that through those descendants and through you, all the world will be put back together again. Hmm. Everything will be as it should be. So those are the three promises that God makes in Genesis chapter 12. Okay. Okay. That It started small. It got really big. Like, yeah. Yeah, from like a farm to yeah. like the world's going to be fixed. Right. Yeah. I, just, I thought it was going to be a farm with some sheep, <laughs> lions, and lambs. Okay. okay. Kids, <laughs> uh, the stars, and the whole world is fixed. Okay. That's kind of the, you know, the, the paradox here. But the world isn't fixed. Correct. That's, that's for a whole other thing, probably. But, Not really, because yeah, no. God is still doing that. Um, uh. The entire Bible really is about God working from the underside of history through what you just laughed about. Like, well, that's impossible. How, who are we to do that? Mm-hmm. But that's how God actually does it, from the underside of history. And it's because God continues to be faithful, continues to go with us, that we get empowered to change the world. Um, one little bit at a time. So what's really important, too, I, you guys were saying, oh, that's really hard to do, mm-hmm. as if it's your responsibility to make it happen. But what happens in Scripture is that as soon as Abraham and Sarah receive that promise that God says, I'm going to work through you, 
the very next story shows that Abraham is not a very faithful or strong person. We take a story like that and think, oh, Abraham and Sarah, they must be really strong yeah, spiritual they're leaders. Yeah, they're the, saints. And the they're going the yeah, well, to make it all and, happen. Yeah. But the Bible is about God making it happen through us. Mm. We always turn it into, well, what can I do better? How can I work harder? How can I fix the world? But it's really releasing and trusting and surrendering to the Spirit of God working through us to change the world. And the Bible emphasizes that point because immediately after God makes his promise to supposedly this great Saint Abraham and this great Saint Sarah, Abraham and Sarah find themselves in Egypt and they're um, surrounded by Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's troops. And Sarah is a very beautiful woman and Abraham says, well, um, Sarah is my sister because oh, he knew that Pharaoh may want Sarah in his own harem. Okay. And Abraham yeah. told a lie. That is one of the most unsavory stories the Bible could ever have. Right after this great promise, Abraham lies about his wife, and his wife goes into Pharaoh's harem. Okay. Oh, boy. Okay. <laughs> Someone's in trouble. Someone's that's in it. Trouble. You know, those right. of you who are listening, that's, that's really a strange story. Yeah. yeah. But if you remember the promise that Abraham and Sarah will have as descendants as many as the stars of the sky. If Sarah is in Pharaoh's harem, they can't have children. Mm -hmm. So the story mm -hmm. is what's called, what I call a cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Will God's promise actually happen or not? Mm. Can't happen if Sarah's in Pharaoh's harem. Yeah. In time, she comes out, of the, out, but one story after another is like that. For example, um, Sarah's not able to have children. And she's an old woman. She's 99 years old. And the story is not about some crazy miracle about a 99-year-old <laughs> woman having a baby. Mm -hmm. It's about Abraham and Sarah trusting that God is working through them. They want to help God out. Well, how can we make this happen? And it's not just trust me is what is being said. Just trust that I will work through you. And in time, she has a child, and the generations of Abraham and Sarah begin, and the rest of the Bible is about God working always from the underside of history to make things happen. So we don't have to, again, you know, my brain, my scientific brain wants to mm -hmm. go like, okay, you know, the 99-year-old woman and the, <laughs> you know, descendants, the stars from these two people, and it, it freezes there. And so I guess what what we need is unfreeze that and be like it isn't about could this have happened mm -hmm. it's the idea that God is working from the underside the theological part of the story yes. is that this promise does not depend really upon human ability it depends upon God's faithfulness to work through us mm -hmm. so our response then is to to trust rather than to think that it's all on our shoulders to trust that God is working through us to good do amazing things. Okay, I have a challenging question. So Ooh, I like those. <laughs> so this brings me to think that, well, if God is working through us and we just need to trust, then everything is just God's will because you get a lot of terrible things that happen and you hear that it's God's will and I don't know if I... Everything happens for a reason. Everything happens Ugh. for a reason. Everything is God's will. And I, I really have a lot of trouble with that. I don't know how what to reconcile that. What would you say that. 
God's will is. You tell me, what is God's will for humanity, for the world, for creation? What is God's will? That's a great question. I, I suppose I would say something about um, us living in community with one another and treating each other as fellow children of God. That's super generic, but... I don't know what God's will is. I have a hard time divorcing it from, like, a person, a thing, you know, really? like a will. Um, what I feel like the God's, the end game, like the nirvana, is to have peace and comfort and that whole lion lays with the lamb, no conflict, uh, almost womb-like, hmm. um, going back to that feeling. So I, I really don't know what God's will is. I have a very hard time separating. Oh, I think you've both out. articulated it very well. God's will is for goodness and kindness and compassion. Yet bad things happen in this world. How do you overcome bad things? How do you lean into God's will? Will you lean into kindness and goodness and compassion, work for justice and peace? Abraham and Sarah took them a lifetime to start leaning into God's promise and to trust that the world can be a good place. We tend to look always at the evil and the terrible around us. Well, there's a lot of wonder and good and mm -hmm. kindness and compassion around us too. Mm -hmm. And so to, to follow God, in my opinion, is to lean into that goodness mm -hmm. and to allow it to continue in my own life. Um, it's a struggle in all of our lives because we're all filled with um, you know, things that aren't good and things that are great. Um, leaning into that goodness is, I think, what Abraham and Sarah finally do and many of the characters in the Bible finally do. Um, and that's how mm -hmm. God mends the world. I have to live that way. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, yeah. the world is all negative. And right. And I when give bad, up. Yeah, and when bad things happen, I do, I definitely, uh, it, I get through them by leaning into what you're saying. Mm -hmm. When I'm feeling anger and a terror or whatever, then I have to let that pass through and I have to come to the other side with kindness and compassion and something, something else, because I can't live in that space. And I think actually, I've told this to people um, recently, you hear so many of the bad things and the news is all filled with that. But I was like, just the fact, I mean, look at everyday interaction with every single person, like all of that, mm -hmm. uh, the millions and trillions and bazillions and jillions of kind <laughs> things that happen on every interaction, every level, every day that aren't recorded. Um, I think really far outweigh the bad ones, I really do. Um, but it's just not tallied, I guess, in the same way. Well, anyway, really great discussion. We're kind of coming to, we want to keep these podcasts short to begin with, and um, we'll see how they go in the future. But thanks for listening, and um, we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.